0: Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience Podcast and this is episode number 10, yes, yes man, we made it dude. 10 episodes. Who knew? Wow. Yeah, so here we are, man. Uh, 10 episodes. Dude, this has just been a blast. Um, Had some really cool things already. I've enjoyed sharing my heart. I've enjoyed sharing some of the things that I've learned. But uh, not only that, my uh, sometimes partner in crime, John Scott, and myself, we decided to do some of these uh, like collaborative conversations where we jump on a conver- a, uh, like a conference call or uh, something like that. And a couple of weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, we got together and we did that with Jay Baker. I think that was episode eight. Dude, that's just awesome. Uh, I love Jay Baker. I love so many of the things that he has to say. And so I was thrilled. To be able to have him on the podcast and so early in, dude, it was just yeah, it was great. If you haven't listened to that, go check that out. So, um, so anyway, we decided that we were going to do more of those, right? And I found myself in the somewhat sudden situation of having the opportunity to sit down and have the same type of conversation with AJ Levine now. Uh, dude, if you don't know uh, who AJ Levine is, you should. Um, she is a uh, she's the professor of New Testament studies at Vanderbilt University. She has uh, quite a few books out there, like um, Short Stories by Jesus, uh, The Misunderstood Jews. She's got several children's books, and um, honestly, man, she is just uh, brilliant. I mean, we're just talking such a sharp. Um, individual and has some really profound things to say, so John and I got together and brought A j into the conversation and i i 'm just thrilled with it, so I think you 're really going to enjoy it if you will just take the time to listen to some of the great things that um, that A j brings to the conversation uh, yeah i think I think you 're just going to love it, man. Um, In addition to that, and you'll hear us talk about this in the podcast. By the way, uh, this was John's idea, okay? Um, This thing I'm getting ready to tell you. In addition to this, A.J. Levine and uh, Ben Witherington III wrote this book together, and it's a commentary on the Gospel of Luke. So um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give a copy of that away to some... A lucky listener, right and um, so here's what you have to do to win this, man. you have to either uh, take a picture of a of a black sheep, right uh, you have to dress yourself up as a black lamb, right a black sheep, uh, artwork of a black sheep, something to do with a black sheep the the, the most creative and uh, cool thing that you can do and then you got to jump online. And you got to tag us both. So you got to tag the Black Sheep Experience and you got to tag uh, Holy Heretics. And you can do that on Instagram. You can do that on Twitter. And uh, then we will pick and send that uh, out to you. And dude, it's really, it's incredible. Um, it would be a great thing to have in your library. So do that. And uh, within a couple of weeks, we'll uh, we'll pick the listener and uh, and get that out to you. All right, a couple of quick things before we jump into the conversation with A.J. Levine. Number one, thank you so much for listening. Guys, I really appreciate it, man. Um, I love the fact that you're out there. I love the fact that uh, you're listening, that you're a part of this conversation. Thank you so much, and I, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Uh, number two, if you're not following the Black Sheep Experience on Instagram, Twitter, uh, <clears throat> on Facebook, jump on there and do that, and uh, let us know that you 're out there. Uh, let us know what you think of the podcast. really would love to hear from you and finally um, you 're never going to see a black sheep experience uh sponsored by ad in your newsfeed right uh, That advertisement is just not in the budget so <laughs> what i what I would really love for you to do is share the podcast with your friends, right? Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, text message, phone call, email, whatever you got to do, just do it, all right? Just get it done, (laughs) man. Just uh, let your friends know that we're out here and uh, really is a big deal. It's a huge assistance uh, to me. So, okay, man, that is it. We're going to jump into this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear some of the profound things uh, that AJ Levine brings to the table. Hey, everybody! Welcome to the Black Sheep uh, Experience. I, uh, the dynamic duo, well, the moderately dynamic duo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> myself and John. Hey, we're back together doing this again.
1: Yeah, and I'm John Scott, host of the Holy Heretics podcast. Yeah, this is this is cool, man. It worked with Jay yeah. Baker
0: we did we did yeah that automatically makes us pretty hip i think
1: i I, whatever hip means anymore you know the the more people say cutting edge the more the edge gets dulled
0: i know yeah that's true that's all right as long as we're as long as we're legends in our own mind i I, I think that's fine that sounds
1: like some wayne dyer stuff there but uh, there you go (laughs) nice Well, Craig, hey, you know, one of the things that I like about the opportunity we've had with doing podcasts like this is that it gives us a chance to talk to some great minds, and we happen to have a great mind on the show today.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, We are um, really excited to have with us today uh, Dr. A.J. Levine. Welcome to the show, uh, Dr. Levine.
2: I'm delighted to be with you. Why don't you just call me A.J.? (laughs) I will do
0: that.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Hey AJ, you're so cool. You know, I, every time, I, every time you're on this show, I have to like, uh, you know, go back in time and remember that this is one of the the coolest things. When I met you was at a Unity church in Nashville and I was doing the music for that particular gathering and we did a song I can see clearly now. Uh, when you got up mm-hmm. to speak, you, you, you said, "I know you guys were having a great elevated spiritual experience," but I was thinking about a makeout session from my youth, <laughs> and I loved that. I went, "Oh my God, I'm I'm gonna love this person." <laughs> I just like good music. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, us too. Yeah, that's right. Well, Craig, so, what you yes got, sir. brother?
0: Oh man, well I have been um just overloading on uh, on AJ the past uh week or, or two and uh I have got all kinds of probably uh questions that you've answered a million times um, but I would like to pick your brain on them if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can give it a shot. <laughs> all right. So um it and it starts with with this. Now I I grew up um not in an incredibly, um, I guess, religious home, but I did grow up in the Bible belt. And then I, um, got, you know, what we call saved in a very, um, I I guess, regimented Pentecostal type setting. So the Bible for me was just black and white, you know, and, and, uh, and I think you said sometimes your students say it, um, you know, it says it, That settles it, I believe it, that type of thing.
2: Um, Well, I'm I'm thinking your Bible was probably not black and white.
0: I'm thinking your Bible probably had red letters in it. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Those were the important ones. Uh, But I heard you talking the other day, and um, you mentioned that, uh, I believe, that um, Israel means uh, one who wrestles with God. That's the traditional etymology, yes. and, And then you mentioned that Jesus debating with um, the fellow Jews in, in that day, that would have been a very, I guess, normal part of their culture. So when we look at it as just, you know, black and white, that's not, that's not, uh, I guess, the basis of its origin. It was never just considered this black and white text. Is that right? Well, it could be, right. Um,
2: if you have a law code that says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, you need to debate what that constitutes. Um, how do you honor the Sabbath? What, what should the community be doing? What should an individual be doing? Um, and if you're not supposed to work, then you need to be you need to determine what constitutes work. Like, is is taping a podcast is that work? How would you know? What if it's fun? So of course they had to debate this material. And since there's no head Jew to tell them what to believe, of course they're going to come up with different ways of. Uh, practicing Torah, uh, figuring out what it means to do what God wants you to do, figuring out how how you live in community.
1: Hmm. <laughs> you know, there's one thing that you always do, Aj. You always just like you you have so many drop the mic moments in a podcast. I gotta be <laughs> honest with you. Like, it, it, it I, I've torn up so many mics We're talking to you. This just drop the mic right there. <laughs> so, so there's argument and there's debate. And what you've said before is that, I want, maybe I'll use this word and you can tell me if it's wrong or not. It's kind of a holy thing to debate, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The um, rabbinic tradition, the, the
2: Jewish tradition following the time of Jesus, um, actually has God delight when people start talking about Torah, has God engaged with the community. Um, and has God recognizing that the Torah has been placed in our hands and giving human beings sufficient respect and sufficient responsibility uh, so that we can try to work this stuff up out on our own without having to have a voice from heaven come down every ten minutes to say, no, darling little ones, go here or go there. God treats us like adults. How fabulous is that?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I, um, again, some of this is, is new to me. I've just been... Um, doing this for a couple of years now with, you know, what they would call, I guess, deconstructing. But, um, so many of my friends are still very evangelical and the idea of debating scripture is just, well, you know, it's, it's heresy to them. So it's, it's odd to, you know, I, I think in one of the uh, podcasts I heard you mention that, and I'm going to butcher this maybe, but that there's 70 faces to the Torah. Uh, mm-hmm. what does that mean?
2: <laughs> it's an old rabbinic saying in Hebrew, Shiba panim la Torah. In other words, every text that you have um, would be like a beautiful faceted jewel, and every time you turn it and, and hold it up to the light, you'll see something different. Um, the Bible should not be um, just one meaning for everybody at all times. That, that's restrict. That's technically restricting the Holy Spirit, and it's restricting human imagination. I would be appalled. If somebody read a text at the age of six, and then read it again at 60, and saw absolutely no difference or no nuance, of course we should be able to open up the Bible, and depending upon what what we seek to gain from it, whether comfort or inspiration or historical knowledge um, or um, just anything we need, of course we're going to see different things. If we didn't, everybody would be giving exactly the same sermon every week forever, And that doesn't happen because the Bible always speaks anew to each generation. So, of course, you should discuss it.
1: Yeah. AJ, what do you do, though, seriously, with folks who say, and I know you've heard this, you've had to hear this, what do you do with people who say, the Bible, though, is inspired by god it's god breathed it's perfect all by itself you can't challenge it it is what it is it is god because there are people who almost worship the bible what do you say to folks like
2: oh, that oh yeah and, and the technical term for that is bibliolatry you've turned the bible into a god the bible isn't a god the bible points to god um but the Bible also necessarily opens up to multiple interpretations, and a reading that one person gets might be different than a reading somebody else gives. Gosh, two, put two fundamentalists in a room together and see if they agree on everything. The fact is, they won't. They can't. That's why we have multiple Christian denominations.
0: <laughs> Bibliolatry—that is the coolest word.
2: <laughs> Not mine. I didn't make it up. But I mean, that is uh. the technical term for it. Um, we have four different Gospels that tell us different different versions of the story of Jesus. And that's really helpful, because no one gospel is going to get the entire story, just as no one biography of of either of you could get all the nuances and get everything correct. Um, So we might think of the Bible as telling the story of Jesus the same way that you might say, "Um, here's my partner, here's my child, here's my parent, and here's my boss. Now, describe me. Um, And you'll get four different stories, and each will have a particular nuance. So rather than what some of my colleagues do, my more liberal colleagues, you know, they, they, they want to point out this is a contradiction and that's a contradiction, as if the whole thing is going to come unraveled. Um, I'm not interested in doing that. I'm not, take, I'm not interested in taking away people's Jesus, and I'm not interested in taking away their theology. I am interested in having them have a, a deeper sense of the different messages the Bible can convey, and that requires close study and paying attention to the different ways that the gospel writers tell the story of Jesus.
3: Yeah, so you I, know. I,
2: right. I, one thing, I'd like, I have fundamentalists in my class, and typically they come away saying that at the end of the class they have a much richer sense of who Jesus was than they did when they got in there.
0: Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it would seem to me that that's a hard, you know, I have, Um, A lot of fundamentalist friends that say if it has multiple meanings, and and I know this is infantile, but if it has multiple meanings, then it it has no meaning at all. You know, you've probably heard that all or nothing argument.
2: No, I think that's selling the Bible short, and I think it's putting the Holy Spirit out of business.
1: Hmm. You heard it here. Okay, (laughs) that's selling it short (laughs) and putting the Holy Spirit out of business. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I agree with you. Uh, And I think that podcasts like this a podcast like The Black Sheep Experience, all we're really trying to do is expose people to a broader understanding of all of it because ultimately, at the end of the day, none of us know for sure exactly what God even is. And so we're all theorizing about it anyway. And so why not dig deeper into these interpretations of Scripture? And that's one thing that you've done recently. And Craig, if that's okay, I'd like to go in this direction. I hold in my hands the Gospel of Luke It is 700 pages. I I haven't looked exactly to see. Maybe it's 695 or something. But anyway, it is a big book. It's a commentary on the Gospel of Luke. What inspired you to jump into the Gospel of Luke like this?
3: Well,
2: I wrote it with my friend Ben Witherington III. Um, Some of of your listeners may know about Ben. He's got a a fairly well-known blog. Um, He's written commentaries on every book in the Bible, I think. Um, He teaches at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, which is a fairly conservative United Methodist Seminary. Uh, He's a very, very good friend, but when it comes to the Bible, we disagree on a lot. Hmm. So we thought, how fabulous would this be? We'd write a commentary together, and when we disagree, we would respectfully explain how and why, so that people can see what biblical scholars do, and more conservative or evangelical people who would be inclined only to read Ben could get to see what I think. And more liberal people who would never touch anything by Ben would say, oh, well, AJ's here. Maybe, maybe I'll have a look at this. Hmm.
3: Um,
2: and what we're able to do at the end of every chapter of Luke, and Luke is a long gospel, is to say, what do we do with this material? How does this material speak to contemporary concerns? And the only way you can you can figure out how the Bible has something to say today is to delve deep and say, Oh, now I understand this passage speaks to this and this passage speaks to that. And what we come up with may, may have been something that 10 years ago never would have occurred to us. And we're stronger, the two voices together than we are singly.
1: Hmm. I love that. And I'm thankful for you guys diving into this. And it, this speaks to your radical, inclusive nature, Uh, One of the things that I read in the front said, uh, this is for Jews and Christians in hopes that they love the Bible like we do, and in hopes that this commentary may show how the Bible can be used as a bridge to build better Jewish and Christian relationships. Can we talk about that? Because in current events, I mean, I've noticed over the last several years that there is a there's kind of a – it's a very interesting relationship, even politically, uh, between America and Israel and with the Christian and Jewish relationships. Can we talk a little bit about how we're bridging that gap there and how to see it more clearly?
3: Yes. Yeah. Well, it,
2: it, the way you phrase the question opens up like half a dozen different avenues. <laughs> um, Jewish-Christian relations need not be directly involved with the state of Israel. Um, that's one facet of it, but I would not want to confuse the two as if, ever, as, if as if we're only invested in contemporary political concerns. Um, I, you know, as a, as a Jew um, and as a Zionist, and by, by Zionist I mean I think there's I think the land of Israel is the national Jewish homeland and always has been. Um, uh, I don't want people to say, oh, you, you have to be 100% in favor of everything the Israeli government does, and if, you're, if not, you're anti-Jewish or you're a bad Jew. I have lots of disagreements with cont- some of the contemporary practices of the Netanyahu government. So even when it comes to Jewish-Christian relations, it might be good for Christians to realize that Jews themselves, ourselves... Um, have have multiple views on the state of Israel. You want to find really negative comments about Mr. Netanyahu? Look at Israeli newspapers. Mm. Um, uh, In terms of Jewish-Christian relations, for me and for Ben, we find that we just don't know each other very well. Um, I find Christians frequently invent this toxic Judaism in the first century that that hates women and is very violent and is legalistic, and then Jesus comes along and invents social justice. And that's just, it's it's a false stereotype of early Judaism, and it's a false reading of Jesus. So, for me, in terms of history and Jewish-Christian relations, if we get first-century Judaism wrong, we're going to get Jesus wrong. Maybe Jews and Christians ought to be helping each other here, um, where Jews who know their own history can fill in some of the gaps that Christians don't know, and Christians who know the New Testament can fill in some gaps in first-century Jewish history that Jews don't know so we need each other and we need each other's expertise
0: yeah i uh i think that um i, I could see the and, and i've got so far to go with so much of this but there's so much so much of what jesus said and paul and all the rest of them really that really kind of fits into the culture and the context and the customs of that day mm-hmm. that i'm sure we miss oftentimes completely misinterpret what what uh you know, an, a, a different individual may have said here or there, based on—I don't know if you'd call it Westernized views or or what you call it—but certainly there's there's passages that we completely get wrong because we don't understand the cultural and customs uh, of that day. Would that be true?
2: Um, that's true, and and it's even worse than that. Um, in the rush to make Jesus look completely unique, um, it's much easier to have to construct an artificial. Um, icky judaism over against which to read jesus rather than to do the hard work of history and and try to figure out what 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 life was like at the time it seems to me if one claims to love jesus one would want to know a lot about early judaism in the same way that if you claim to love your partner you kind of want to know well you know what are the parents like and where did the partner go to school and what's the partner's favorite food or baseball team and Mm. people just don't do the work
1: Mm. it's a true story I, I know this because um, the way I was raised was, you know, you, in fact, I was taught against seminary. Don't go to seminary because they will they will teach you liberal deception. And, um, you know, you need, just need to read the Bible and trust the Holy Spirit to tell you. And so then you'd get up and preach and you preach by the letter. You just open up a letter fly, baby. You let the Holy Ghost take over. And you'd somehow that God was going to reach down from heaven and pull your tongue out and going to exactly give you the exact words that were from heaven throne and we didn't do the work it was years later that i felt the pull and the need to get into church history to start digging into what i thought it might mean and then even to put what i thought it might mean on the shelf so that i could be open to something else let's get specific if you're okay with that let's talk about um, jesus birth and childhood maybe
2: Well, even even before that, when I get that from my students, like, I don't need to take a biblical studies course because the Holy Spirit will tell me what to say, I am inclined to say, why don't you do a little bit of work and meet the Spirit halfway? (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Why don't you learn something? And and if you're worried that seminary, if you're worried that I, in one lecture, can destroy your faith, that's a faith that needs to be put down, because you're hanging on by your fingernails, and that's not faith, and that's not love, that's fear.
1: Wow, wow. That's so good. And the reason I, and the reason I want to go there and, and ask about specific, because I know that you cover some very interesting material in this commentary in the book of Luke about Jesus' birth and childhood. And the reason I bring that up is because there are people, and you know this, and you, because, because you have them in your class, people who are probably saying to you, um, look, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit teach me, you know, and I'm going to let the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit tell me what to say. You have people who are holding on to very, very, um, strong dogmas about things like virgin birth and about things like crucifixion and resurrection and they have to have jesus to be virgin born in order for jesus to be relevant to them and if not it all unravels it's weird how it seems that when you talk about hell when you talk about virgin birth you talk about jesus dying on the cross to save us from our sins if you pull one of the threads it's as if the whole the whole sweater is going to fall apart. So that's why I asked about specific. Can we can we look? You know, just a few little tidbits. You know, like like I don't know. Throw some throw a bone this way about the virgin birth and how you see it.
3: <laughs>
2: well, like, look, I'm not a gynecologist, and I wasn't there, um, so I you know. If, if somebody wants to believe that that Jesus was conceived virginally, I have no problem with that. If somebody wants to believe that, that Jesus came back from the dead after three days and that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's going to come back at some point, I have no problem with that either. I just don't want to stop there. Mm. Um, if, if one takes a particular doctrine and looks at the way Luke describes it, or for the virginal conception, the way Matthew describes it, then I want the next step. So what? Um, the text is more than uh, a, a proclamation of Jesus, so I, I don't want to stop there. The text is also um, uh, lessons to us about how we understand marriage, how we understand sexuality, uh, for Luke with the census, how we understand politics and empire. Um, so it's you can have it be all about Jesus, but you don't have to stop there either. Um, We can ask questions like, gee, what was Luke's audience thinking, Uh, probably a group of, of, you know, Romans? Um, If slaves were listening to these texts, what were they thinking? So I don't think the questions stop with Jesus, and I'm I'm perfectly happy if people want to hang on to theological beliefs. I don't think history or literary criticism um, undermines theology. I actually think it helps it. Mm. Mm. It just makes it richer. So I'm not really scary when it comes to theological beliefs. Um, some people get scared because I'm not a, I'm not a Christian believer. And it's like, well, if you, if you study the text and you're not a believer, there must be something wrong with you. Um, but that's also putting the Holy Spirit out of business. I think, I think that faith is a matter of what the church would call grace or a matter of love. It's not something that's based on any sort of logic. Um, like, love is not based on logic. You fall in love because you fall in love. Um, my own love has, happens to be focused on my own Jewish tradition. I feel quite fulfilled in that tradition. But I think the text is really interesting. So in the same way, I don't expect some Christian student to say, gee, Amy jo, um, you know, there must be something wrong with your religious tradition. How would that person know? I'm not going to do that with a Christian either. I'm not going to fuss at somebody's faith. But I will
0: fuss in terms of whether they know the Bible or not,
2: because that's my job.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I have a huge struggle uh with the whole theology thing because first of all there's so many of them, you know, and mm-hmm. some of them are just really militant and uh and I pick on a particular group every podcast. I'm trying to avoid that. <laughs> uh but <laughs> good luck. Because <laughs> I've been I've been called on it a couple of times, but um you know, some of these theologies that are, whether it's, you know, this is exactly the way it is, we have all the answers, you know, systematic theology. Um, and I heard you once say that um, Paul did not teach systematic theology.
2: <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, the, I mean, think about it this way. The very idea that people are still teaching systematic theology after 2,000 years means that they haven't gotten it figured out yet.
1: <laughs> that's, just true story. Well, that's why
2: they're still writing papers, and that's why people are still trying to get tenure. So that theological um, discourse, that whole academic environment where you try to figure it all out, uh, that's going to be going on till the world ends. Mm. All the answers aren't in. Um, and in that sense, we can look at both Judaism and Christianity as unfinished projects. Jews are still waiting for the Messiah to come. Christians are still waiting for the Messiah to come back. Um, wouldn't it be a good idea if we read the Bible together and tried to figure out how ethically we're supposed to live with one another? (laughs) Wouldn't it be a good idea, I think, if we would stop judging one another, you're wrong and therefore I'm right and therefore you must be wrong, as to say, well, you know, let's let's let God sort it out, because the the proclamation of saved or damned is not in our hands, it's in God's hands. Uh, But we are, in fact, commanded to love our neighbors and to love the stranger who dwells among us, maybe we should get to work on that.
1: You know, one of the things that I felt like I could adopt as theology just several years ago, you know, while I'm in private sort of diving into these deeper, if you want to call them deeper things, just discovering and uncovering some things that I had not discovered, the theology I was able to work with Was love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And because I knew that I had not mastered either one of those, I thought, uh, you know Mm -hmm. what, I'm going to hang out here for a minute because, hell, I need to really get that stuff down before I start trying to tell anybody else how to do anything else. And that's really kind of where I've stayed. Um, in simplicity, with how I share my personal message with the world, is let's learn to love each other a little more. I mean, the second commandment is just like the first—that you love—and
2: right. it—and it doesn't stop there, right? So in Mark twelve, where this thing comes up, the question, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Um, and Jesus comes up with love of God, which is Deuteronomy six, and love of neighbor, which is Leviticus nineteen. But that just says it's the greatest. There, there are six hundred and eleven others that you have to worry about. Um, so maybe we could look at the Bible for additional instruction here. Not in a sense of legalism, not in a sense of earning God's love, but in a sense of what, 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 what are we being taught by this text? How do we live it out today? How do we decide what commandments worked back in the, in, you know, the ancient Iron Age and what commandments still work for us today? Um, and that's where we have room for debate, and that's a good thing. How do you love your neighbors yourself? That's an interesting question.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know, so one of the things that I've noticed, and and uh, I'm just looking for um, you know uh, scholarly, uh, I guess, uh, approval here um, for for all my friends. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, but um, <laughs> there, you know, when I first started diving into this and looking at all these different ideas whether it is um, Arminianism or um, Calvinism or the Gnostics or the Desert Fathers, you know, just all these different groups. I mean, there has never been an age, um, even obviously in Scripture, which I've heard you talk about, you know, Peter and Paul uh, before. There's never Mm -hmm. been an age where everything has just been in complete agreement and all of our doctrine just worked out like a beautiful flowing stream. There's always been conflict in this tradition, correct?
2: And, and there always will be. Just look at the New Testament. The texts themselves don't always agree. You know, Jesus is all about love and inclusivity, pretty much. And then you get to something like 2nd and 3rd John, which is, you know, those other people have nothing to do with them. Um, Jesus hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. And Paul in 1 Corinthians says, don't associate with immoral people. You need to figure out which verses you're going to bring forward and when and why
1: and by whom. Are you saying because we cherry pick? Hmm? are you saying we're cherry pickers
2: (laughs) um everybody cherry picks everybody sets up what's called a canon within a canon that's why you can ask the question of what's the greatest commandment yeah because traditionally in judaism there are 613 of them Mm. um jesus comes up with two in matthew and mark but it's a lawyer who puts those two commandments together in luke chapter 10 in the run-up to the good samaritan paul gets it down to the righteous will live by faith which other rabbis did, by the way, um, also. So we're always trying to figure out how we do this, and the reason I find helpful in a classroom or in a community is because I won't trust one single individual to tell me how to do all this. I want people's advice. I want different opinions, and the more aware I am of how the text has been interpreted differently, the better decision I can make, (laughs) because then I'm I'm not coming to it with ignorance.
1: Well, you know, yes. I've told you this in private, and I say it publicly. You're just one of my favorite people when it comes to talking about this the Bible. And I'll tell you this, too. Uh, one of my favorite quotes by you is is amidst all of the high theology. Craig, you'll appreciate this, okay? Because cause okay. the thing is, we talk about high you can go as deep as you want to go. With AJ Levine, you can go as you can't. I don't know that you can ever be shallow here, but we can tiptoe through some of these things. One of my favorite quotes, though. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got to say this. I have to put this one in here now. I've this is AJ Levine at her, at her best. I've got a good shepherd. You've got a sadistic dentist. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, I love it's, I, that. I, right. That's so, good. I mentioned that because uh, there are so many people who talk about the Old Testament God of Wrath and, and the New Testament God of Love, and the Old Testament God who's legalistic and nasty and violent, and Jesus who stands before you while you play t ball and helps you hit the ball. Um, <laughs> and and that, that's—it's it's actually a heresy called Marcionism, as if the Old Testament God is not the same as the New Testament God. Um, and it's the same God. So when I get this nonsense from my students, I simply go into the text and cherry-pick verses that will do the job for me. So from Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, leads me beside still waters, restores my soul. Fabulous. And then I can go to Jesus, who condemns people to the place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Which sounds like a bad visit
1: to
0: the
2: dentist. It does um, and that's the problem with cherry picking, rather than having a sense of the Bible as a complete text. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so John, don't don't roll your eyes at this. I'm not. Uh, I promise. Okay,
1: no judgment.
0: Because uh, this co- comes up constantly. So here here was my big departure, uh, AJ. I um, I could not handle. You know, life is, I'll be 50 uh, in March of 2019. And what I've learned is this thing called life is, is extremely confusing. Um, when you think you've got it figured out, the next year you realize, you know, you don't have anything figured out. <laughs> and so I started feeling like, um, how does a loving God, and I know uh, so many people say this, but how does a loving God um take someone after 70 or 80 years and say well you didn't figure it out um so you know sucks to be you and then <laughs> you know there's eternal conscious torment forever um and, and you mentioned you know jesus does say um you know i i think in matthew 18 he talks about if your eye causes you to stumble gouge it out because it's better to um, have one eye than to go into hell, you know, the fires of hell, I think he says, with two. Um, all right, so I guess what I'm asking for is ammunition on <laughs> um, this anti-hell view that I just uh, have to hold to, to love God, really.
2: Yeah, well, I don't want to give you ammunition because that suggests that biblical studies is some sort of violent of prisoners <laughs>
1: something,
2: something. Um, You know, it, it, it all depends upon the type of God you want to proclaim. Do you want to proclaim a loving, merciful God um, who will not condemn you because you simply can't believe something in the same way that it will not condemn you because, you know, your love is placed elsewhere? Mm. Um, that's entirely up to you in, in terms of what you want to believe, but it does come down to the question of whether you believe in God or not, um, which some people don't, uh, and that doesn't make them bad people, it just makes them atheists. Um, uh, what kind of God you believe in or what you think Jesus meant. Because on occasion, Jesus may be using hyperbole. He may be using exaggeration to catch people's attention. And you have to determine for yourself or for your community, um, what's a metaphor, what's to be taken literally, um, and, and how do we deal with this material?
0: Is some of those guesses
2: right? Of course, it's guesswork, but it can be theologically and historically informed guesswork, mm. and that's why you read other people have written on this. I personally don't believe in hell; never did, um, and it's too bad because there are people I want to put there.
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Honesty, there are people I really, really dislike, you know, through history. <laughs> and I, I, there's a part of the idea that they would be tortured forever is is kind of appealing. Um, <laughs> and then I step back and think, oh my god, what a horrible thing for me to think. That's <laughs> awful. Right, um, and if I find that offensive, um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it like that.
3: Mm. Mm.
2: I, I'm I'm less interested in what happens to us after we die because there's very little we can do about that. Um, if we force, our, we can't force ourselves to believe something because there's always going to be this nagging doubt in the back anyway. Um, either we believe or we don't believe. I'm, I'm much more concerned not about the afterlife. I'm concerned about what we do in the here and now because there we have some sort of control. And in terms of whether we get it all figured out, there's a lovely rabbinic comment, because there's a lovely rabbinic comment for everything. Yes. Um, it, it comes from a rabbinic text called Percheavo, and it says something along the lines of, speaking of Torah study and therefore figuring out all this theological stuff, it is not your duty to complete the task, but nor are you free to desist from it. You're not going to get all the answers, that's not your responsibility, but you should do your best day by day to figure out what you should be doing. Mm. I think, and so there's no guilt. Yeah. don't feel guilty guilt is overrated
1: <laughs> guilt is overrated there's another quote <laughs> put that on put that in your pipe and smoke it you'll get high like Willie uh, it 's over freaking rated listen, I have become the um, lead minister because there are some people that are crazy enough in Chattanooga to ask me, but I've become the the lead minister at Unity of Chattanooga now, and it was funny because somebody the other day told someone who was coming to attend they told them it was, they were a family member coming into town and they and they were trying to find a church to go to on that sunday morning and the their mm-hmm. family member in Chattanooga said well there 's a lot of churches in the area. But be careful, don't go to that church, that love everybody church, that that love everybody church and all they talk about is being happy. Don't go over there. And I thought, you know, that's a great accusation and that's great advertisement because that's the God I've chosen to share and to relate to others. And I love that. You, that's what you said. Look, here's the thing, folks. You can pick a God of wrath and you can find scripture in various forms to back it up. Go for it. I got nothing against you. Guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to preach that. I won't do it. I just won't share that gospel. That's not a gospel. Gospel's good news. I'm sharing good news.
2: Right, and I don't think saying, gee, you're going to go to hell, I don't think that's particularly good news, and I think that's that's taking on for yourself something a, a verdict that actually belongs to God.
1: Thank you. Thank you I, very much. I, mm-hmm. really
2: like, I really like the parable of the sheep and the goats, when all, the, all these worshipers, these Jesus followers are like, gee, how come we're suddenly in the goat line? You know, and, and the reason they're there is because they didn't do what they were supposed to do in terms of loving their neighbor, like maybe providing food or health care.
3: Um, mm.
2: I'm not making a comment here about the Affordable Care Act. I'm making a comment about how we care for our neighbors, which, in fact, we don't do. Um, and and proclaiming the gospel um, is not best done by saying, either believe this or you're going to cry in hell. Because if you do that, the image of God you're you're creating is a sadistic bully. Why would anybody want to worship a sadistic bully?
1: Well, and I think you could worship and serve a sadistic bully, but you surely couldn't love them or like them. No, because you'd be scared to death. That's correct. And then then we wonder why there's been so much abuse, sexual, physical, verbal abuse at the hands and from the mouths of, people who are religious and believe in a God like that because if a God like that is going to require those things of you then certainly you could require it of your children and those around you that you want to control and then if they don't do it what do you do well you punish them and if you believe that the God of all creation is ultimately going to punish everybody for not saying the right words well certainly you can too and so you start a war and you say my God's bigger than your God which equates to my bomb is bigger than your bomb Mm mm-hmm it's kind of sad.
2: Right. Or, or in terms of how politics works today this particular piece of my anatomy is b- bigger than this particular piece of your anatomy. <laughs> That's and true. It's, it, you know, and it's tiresome.
1: It's a pissing um, contest.
2: And ultimately, ultimately it's death
0: dealing rather than life giving.
1: I agree. And Craig, I don't know about you brother, but I I want to be life giving.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean that it's uh in any other context, it's a, you know, it's a it's extremely dysfunctional relationship and uh, say you know I think at some point and you you talked about those nagging thoughts where you you know you're saying to everybody yeah I believe this but in the back of your mind you know that you don't believe it and it's it's not a conscious thing it's not you just make up a decision okay I'm going to believe this I think belief and obviously, I you know, I'm sure there's philosophical and, and physiological reasons behind this, but it seems to me that belief comes from a, a separate place than maybe just conscious decision-making uh, properties. And maybe
2: I'm wrong about right. that. I, no, I think you're right. Belief comes from the same place that love comes from.
3: Mm.
2: Um, if you fall in love with somebody, you fall in love. Um, it's, it's not based in logic. Um, sometimes it's completely illogical. I know that because I've seen some of the people my children have dated. Um, that's that's totally illogical to me but it makes sense to them Um, I had a first husband which made sense to me at the time and in retrospect I'm kind of wondering what was I thinking Um, belief is that same thing belief is not like Sudoku it's not based in logic and it cannot be controlled and it really worries me um, when I meet with people including folks in my classroom and I met people in churches who come up to me after and they say you know I don't believe some of this stuff am I a bad person or or I'm missing something um, and, and to tell them now, you know, you're, you're a perfectly wonderful person, um, and belief is not something you can control, so please stop worrying about it.
3: Mm. Mm. There are mm-hmm. better
2: things to worry about, like um, you know, making sure you get through the day without screwing up. <laughs> That's hard <laughs> enough. Systematic theology is a luxury.
1: Wow. Yeah, Systematic so, theology is a luxury. There's your quote.
0: I uh, <clears throat> think I may have picked up on... on on this at some point. But as you look at the writings of Paul, do, do you believe that you see an evolution taking place within his own life, his own faith? Oh,
2: well, he, yeah, he, I mean, he certainly changes the date of when Jesus is coming back. Um, when More he's writing once. First Thessalonians, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he, he he keeps have, has having to, you know, look at the calendar and push the date off. <laughs> so he's writing First Thessalonians. Uh, a friend of mine is now dating First Thessalonians around the year forty-one, 40, so we're within ten years of the cross. That's fabulous. Um, and he says, you know, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive will rise to meet him in the air. And Paul thinks that, you know, it's coming next Tuesday. And by the time he gets around to writing Romans, he's saying, you know, I, I have to go to Jerusalem, but then I think I want to go to Spain. You know, there's some time there. And by the time you get to Acts, um, it, Acts is great at the very beginning of Acts. Acts has lots of funny scenes in it. The disciples are all looking up to heaven, you know, because Jesus has gone up there. <laughs> it's like an angel has to say... Stop looking up to heaven. Your job is not to look up there to wait for him to come back. Mm. Your job is to look forward and go out and do the mission. <laughs> um, so stop worrying about this whole Second Coming thing. You've got a church to build. Of course mm. we're going to get different views on this. <laughs> so even for my friends who are, you know, they're, they're really apocalyptically oriented and, you know, they want to sell all their, their stuff and, you know, put on a white sheet and go up on a roof and wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> The text says, no, that's really not what you're supposed to be doing. (laughs) Pay attention here, right? Um, And and take a little bit of comfort. Your job is to be the best you you can be, not to figure out what, you know, the mind of God is, per se.
1: This is so yeah, good, this is so good, because you know, I mean this reminds me, and we didn't get deep into this with Jay Baker because this is a very' it's very close to him, but his his own father and many others are now proclaiming once again, and Craig, you'll know what I'm talking about when I talk about this. Jesus is coming again, and very soon, and now we're mm-hmm. selling survival kits. For the end of times, uh, big buckets of food that you can buy that you can store up, and oh my God, this pizza tastes so great. And I, I you know, I hate to be sarcastic, but c- I mean, come on, when are we going to realize? When I was growing it is a up, bit of a I, money maker, yeah. it is a bit of a moneymaker. Fear sells great. If you don't believe that, just ask, you know, Jack Van Ampey and, and ask uh, Tam LaHaye and, and the co-author of the Left Behind series. I mean, it, it, look, it, when I was growing up, it was 1988 and we were all hunkering down and getting ready for 1988, 1988, Jesus is coming mm-hmm. again. No, when, and this is what they used to say. I love this. Nobody can tell the day or the hour, but it didn't say, I can't tell you the year oh come on and here we go and we continue through that and is that what systematic theology does to us
2: there's an old rabbinic saying (laughs) (laughs) um, that uh if 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 you're planting a tree and you hear the messiah is coming finish planting the tree because then at least you'll have a tree
0: (laughs) wow that's wild
1: (laughs) craig craig i think i'm converted
2: live in hope right you can live in hope and and the idea that you know the messianic age might break in tomorrow um that's actually a nice way of figuring out how how you live your day-to-day existence right is mm. if, you know what what do you say i'll do it later and what do you say i really do need to get this done that's kind of helpful um and when you go to bed at night if you think gee, tomorrow the messiah is going to come you say how was i today um did i did i do anything to make the world a better place Mm-mm-mm. um and if you did, you can you can fall asleep with a clear conscience. That's 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 terrific, right? That is. Um, but it's the book of Acts. Don't keep don't keep looking up into the sky. O. That's just going to make you trip.
1: Look forward. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh man, Craig! I, look, I, I'm being converted to judaism (laughs) right here i mean no just
2: just go be the best christian
1: you can be let Jews worry about us okay gotcha oh man so being a good christian might be it might be that we stop being so carried away with the mascot that we hang that we, we have on hung on a cross and maybe get caught up in what he told us to do Years ago, when my kids were little,
2: we used to use Vanderbilt Divinity School students as babysitters. And their two favorite babysitters were these lovely young women who both united Methodists, and they were working at one of the large Methodist churches in Nashville for their field education program. Uh, and every once in a while, they could not babysit because they were off um, delivering blankets to people on the street or serving food to the homeless or doing mission trips. And my kids, when they were very little, used to say, oh, they, they can't come because they're too busy being Christian." And we thought my husband and I thought that was a great definition of what it meant to be a Christian. Mm. You can't come babysit because you're going out feeding somebody who's hungry. Wow. What a great definition
1: mm, mm, mm. I, I would.
2: So Jesus says right Jesus says you know them by their fruits. you figure out kind of what what fruits are y'all harvesting, Man. and if it's if it's something that's noxious, maybe you ought to find another plant. So Sorry true. about the extended metaphor
1: no, 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 thank you because. I, you know, I think one of the things we call into question, or at least I do um, on my Facebook page and in other social media constantly is guys, guys, what kind of fruit are we bearing here? I mean, when the day is done, I don't really, I don't really excuse my crudeness here. I don't give a shit how much theology, you know, how are you treating people? Mm -hmm. That's, that's where it comes down to for me. How are you treating people? I don't know, Craig, what do you think?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I think so much of the, so much of the, backlash, you know, really against, uh, you know, I guess evangelicals today is just because, you know, quite frankly, I mean, for the past how many decades uh the church has been, you know, really full of jerks. I mean, honestly, and, <laughs> and you know, they're, they're not very loving and they're very condemning and you're in or you're out. And we want the government to do everything that, you know, that we want. And there's just all this separation constantly, which is, seems to be the polar opposite of uh you know the guy that we're basing this religion on so yeah it's an odd combo
2: yeah but it's more complicated than that because the very people who might have extremely conservative theological views and the folks that um people on the left might say that's that's just wrong and it's retrograde and it's cool um those people may well be on the front lines when there's a national disaster, and they're the ones who are mobilizing their churches to, to bring out help for somebody who's been flooded. So as soon as we look at somebody with whom we disagree, and disagree vehemently, and say, well, that person's, you know, the, it's the Antichrist, or that, that person's just totally wrong, um, that doesn't help us, because then, then we wind up demonizing. So the next step then becomes, if there is somebody with whom you disagree substantially over an issue of, of great import to you— Um, Or to me, the next step is, gee, let me call up this person or write a letter to say, I'm really having difficulty understanding your rationale here. Um, Can you speak with me? And that way we avoid the demonization on either side. Um, I, I don't want to demonize anybody. Again, there are people I want to put in hell. But I realize that that that's a very negative part of me that I need to work on, because I don't think that's what it means to be a good human being. To be a good human being means you have to engage even the people with whom you disagree and disagree a lot, Uh because the Bible teaches that we're all in the image and likeness of God. And even if we don't believe in God, we're all human beings, and I I want to keep the respect there rather than the demonization.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I shared so with hard, our... It,
2: we want enemies, but yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I think one of the things that Jesus, one of the hardest things, honestly, when we talk about high theology, you know, I think one of the hardest things Jesus taught was to love your enemies. I mean, and again, I go back to if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and then you start to dig into the Jesus theology. He's telling us really crazy stuff like love your enemies. This is something that we all need some work on. Love your enemy
2: is tough. But even that, so if you have an enemy, what do you do? You go talk to that person, Mm -hmm. um, rather than just engage in various forms of stereotype or invective. Um, And what we do today, um, in part because of of changes in technology, um, is we all just, we live in an echo chamber, so we only listen to the people who agree with us to begin with.
1: Not really helpful. So true. The
2: other thing about Jesus is, beyond all the lovey stuff, is he's really good with righteous anger. And if he thinks somebody's doing something wrong, he doesn't have a problem calling people out. Um, But at the same time, I think he's also calling them in because he's engaging with them.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's good. Yeah. That's the art of calling out and calling in at the same time. Wow.
0: That's a tough balancing act.
2: (laughs) It's really hard. As, As you said, it's messy. Life is messy.
0: Yeah, I think we have a tendency to, at least um, at some uh, point of our evolving, to want to kind of justify our position and justify our actions, uh, as opposed to just saying, okay, this is my position, right or wrong, it is where I am today, and I don't need to be val- I don't, I don't even have to validate myself or have anybody else validate me. It's just where I am today.
2: Right, and if we can have that sense of, okay, here's my position, but I have seriously considered the others, Yes, that's a better form of self-validation than this is my position, I don't want to hear anything to the contrary.
1: So true, Mm -hmm. so true. True, so true. I think one of the things that rad- I call it radical inclusion. It really is not radical, not in the actual grand scheme or in in the in reality. It's not radical. It just happens to be radical for this reality. Radical inclusion for me has led me there. That I want to hear the opposing side, and I want to hear it with an mm-hmm. openness. And I may disagree completely. I may reject it altogether as a a philosophy of life or a view of the world. But I want to hear it because I don't want to ever get to the place. I think it's Brene Brown who said, we have more ways to connect than ever before in the history of humanity, and we're more separated than ever before. Mm -hmm. It's pretty sad. And we can change change
2: that. We're also told that all politics is local. So you start with what's annoying you in your own life. Um, You can't fix everything. Again, it's not your duty to complete the task, but you can figure out what can I do? Um, just on a a small basis that might change something. That's what your podcasts do, is they give people the opportunity to say, gee, I've always thought this, and now I realize I'm not the only one, and I'm not a bad person, and these are good questions to ask, and here are some other people who are asking the same questions. I now have community. That's fabulous.
1: Yeah. Maybe we should learn to not complete or compete, but to complement the world we live in. Oh, that's nice. I just think that that's a good idea because <laughs> I'm not gonna. It doesn't matter how much theology I learn. I'm telling you, I picked up your commentary on the Gospel of Luke along with Ben Witherington III. I picked it up and I went, "Well, crap." There was went my thought on that particular idea. <laughs> <laughs> theology is endless; it's endless. But I'm trying to learn to to just complement the world and and not try to compete with or complete it.
0: Yeah, I think a there's a beautiful. Kiddo, yeah there's a beautiful art of 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 conversation if you can learn how to grab a hold of it and and i and i think one of those facets is and and i'm guilty of this as anybody but um defining people uh, too quickly or or defining them at all you know because we are constantly evolving and changing and each one of us is not um you know we have all these labels i mean we constantly give people labels and, uh, what's sad about that is that we're this big mix of, of, well, you know, history and, and, and physiology and culture. And we've got all this stuff brewing around on the inside of us. And I think it was maybe Kierkegaard who said, um, if you label me, you negate me. And, and even though we have that, I'm still very guilty of it. And I'm sure that it, it uh, creates limitations to my ability to really converse well I mean you can't do it without labels
2: you're stuck Um, but think about the label as a post-it note rather than something chiseled in stone Mm -hmm. mm-hmm
1: mm-hmm yeah yeah I love that let's don't chisel in stone you know even at the grocery store when they label it it's peel off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh, well hey AJ look we have we have taken up uh, plenty of your time for today could we just have a, a closing um, statement of what's next on the horizon for you what, what do you have going on next I know you've just finished this gospel of Luke but I also know that you are constantly on the move and on the go we're lucky to be able to even right. get so you today
2: here, here's the new stuff that's coming out um, I have two children's books already out, and the third one, which is on the Parable of the Good Samaritan for a three- to five-year-old, um, should be rolling out in the next couple of months from yes. Fly Away Books, which is, which is Westminster John Knox. So good. Um, I have a book that I'm desperately trying to finish because it's due to the press on November 1, um, tentatively titled Jesus for Atheists. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's not looking at the God stuff, it's just putting all the God stuff aside. And it's not saying, what would Jesus do? Because I think that's a dumb question. Jesus doesn't live in the 21st century. Um, but it is saying, what might the Gospels teach us about um, certain pressing issues like um, economics or slavery or sexuality or women's roles um, or dealing with self and other? Because I think the Gospels have important lessons um, that we can learn from them. So that's almost done. That's what I was working on when you called Yeah, Um, And I've done two sets of takes, one of which just came out, and the other one's due out in December for Abingdon, which is the United Methodist uh, Publication House. These are designed for church-based groups. So the first one is Six Weeks on the Parables, Leader Guide, Participant Guide, and Video. And the one that we just finished, so it's now in production, is Entering into the Passion, and it's uh, a six-week study, Leader Guide, Participant Guide, and Video on Lent. Mm. Um, looking at what what do we learn about the triumphal entry or the Last Supper or Gethsemane or Jesus' teachings in the temple um, or the woman who anoints Jesus in, uh, in Matthew, Mark, and John. Um, what does history tell us? Why are these stories still important? What questions do we need to ask? And each one is looked at in terms of risk. So when one enters into any sort of religious movement, but I think especially for Christianity as we move to the cross, what do you risk? Jesus talks about the narrow path. What do you risk? What's at stake? So this particular adult ed series um, says, if you want to take Jesus
0: seriously, here's what you need to consider. Mm,
1: mm. Good stuff. I cannot wait.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Agreed.
1: Well, Craig, man, man, This has happened again. We've done it again. (laughs) We did. Oh, my God. (laughs) We made it through it and and picked up so many great, um, really great, um, information and nuggets and i'll make sure that in the liner notes for the holy heretics podcast that you know how to find dr amy Gillivine online and uh, you can connect to everything that she's got going on those children's books are are awesome and i can't wait to get the new one now
0: you're absolutely just brilliant I, and I, i'm so happy to be able to spend this time with you thank you so
1: much
2: Work fine i'm going back to work guys you take
1: care <laughs> take care thank we you we love you
0: All right, guys, thank you so much for being a part of the conversation today with uh, John Scott and Dr. A J. Levine. Did I tell you that she was going to say some profound things? Did I tell you that I did so uh, yeah man what a what a great conversation that we had together and such an honor. Um, I would like to thank uh, Dr. Levine for being on the program and thank you John uh, Scott of the Holy heretics for partnering. Up with me once again all right guys uh, jump online let me know what you thought of the AJ Levine conversation I am looking forward to hearing from you God bless you guys have a great uh, rest of your week right oh share the podcast okay done